Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Seth, how are you feeling for round two of Esther? Oh, so good. Yeah? So good. Okay. I had well, a salad. Yeah, feel you light. Did. I did not. I had like a chicken sandwich, mm. but like it was grilled chicken, yeah. but you know, still. I feel light, caffeinated, ready to go. That's good. Talk about divine irony. Yes. So this is episode two for us in the book of Esther. It's also our second episode of the YouTube broadcast yes. of the Spoken Gospel Podcast. I will not look at the camera this time. And you're not going to look at the camera. You, know, you, you should do like one little gym look, you know, where you're just like, he said that, really? And you look at the David. camera. But anyway, if you're joining us on uh, podcast only, that that's good. You can okay, wink. Got it. <laughs> the only thing you're missing is Seth's awkward faces. So uh, they're so good. You know. But anyway, all right. So last time we talked about mainly the theme of exile and kingship. Yes. We talked about how Israel's in exile from the promised land. They're wondering where God mm-hmm. is and if God is still active and can care for them, which yeah. is why his name is not mentioned in the whole book. That's right. And we also talked about how um, King Xerxes is really a puppet king who has no, like, he has all the power in the world and no power. That's exactly and, right. And uh, we're supposed to see in him a paradigm for all the evil imp- empires of the world. Yeah. And we saw how, uh, in, a, in a real sense, we are still in both exile and under other evil empires today. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I was even thinking as we were starting, like, Xerxes is proven to be out of power. Like, he's, he's this really powerful king. His mm. laws are unchangeable. He rules the whole earth. But he's constantly at the whim of his advisors. We talk about how the, their advisors kind of act like the satanic or the demonic delegates of the empire yeah. behind the Especially empire. Haman. Haman in yeah, particular. Haman. And it kind of reveals that like Xerxes is in control. Yeah. Uh, someone else is. Someone else is. Yeah. A, like a demonically energized empire is. Yes. And what's fascinating is that we too like, um, that's we like to assume we are in control of our own lives. Mm, mm-hmm. But to the extent that we buy into our culture's narratives about mm. power, beauty, sex, um, privilege, yeah. acclaim, fame, celebrity, which we'll talk about. So Haman means celebrity. It means yeah. celebrated one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Like To whatever extent we buy into those narratives is actually the extent to which we are controlled by the empire. Mm. So it's not just that they're... Like, we are 
not as autonomous as we think we are. That's good. That's a good way to put it. There's a there's an evil empire actually controlling us, and the more we buy into it, the more controlled we are. Mm-hmm. And which is a, another way to think about like how we were slaves to sin. I think yes. this is just a very mm-hmm. helpful visual of yes. being a slave to sin is yes. being like a part of and entwined with the empire. Yes. Yeah. You think you're the king. You think you're King Xerxes, and mm-hmm. you actually have the shallow veneer. You've got the opulence, you've got mm-hmm. the self-indulgence, you've got the sex, you've got the beauty, but behind it all, you're kind of just a drunken pushover. Yeah, you, like, and you're, you're also just, all you're doing is the whim of an evil consigliere whispering yes. in your ear. And what's fascinating is the people that are saved, the people who are actually put in control are people who trust that they're, that know they are out of control, mm. that know that they wow. do not have power. That's an interesting, and we're going to talk about irony. Yes. Maybe we can use this to talk about it, but yeah. that is a really interesting irony that those who feel out of control, Mordecai, Esther, yes. are actually the ones in control. Who will be placed in power. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like God humbles the proud, yeah. but gives grace to the humble. That's so cool. So it's like, we see yeah. that really vividly, like played out in the right. story of Esther and the empire. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk a lot about irony today. Yes. Uh, let's get up to where we are in the point of the story. Yep. So <clears throat> the king throws an opulent <clears throat> feast. He's yeah. drunk for 187 days, brings Queen Vashti out, and is like, hey, look at her beauty, but she refuses to come. So he, does he, does he, he banishes her. Banishes he doesn't, her. He doesn't, he doesn't kill, kill her. her. He just banishes yeah. her. Sends out an edict saying that all women must submit to their husbands, mm-hmm. and in the, in doing so, kind of airs all his dirty laundry and to his the entire kingdom. To the entire kingdom. Um, his advisors suggest a sexual beauty contest. Yep. To, where, to pick a new queen. Yeah. Where he will be the worst version of ABC's Bachelor. Yes. And he will <laughs> he will have sex with as many women as he wants until he finds the one that pleases him. Yes. And Esther gets sexually trafficked, kidnapped, and brought into the king's prison harem. Yeah. To uh, beautify herself for a year before being presented to him to have forced sex with him. Yeah, and she wins the king's favor. Yes. Um, Mordecai endorses this. Yep. And Haman, during this time, rises to power. Yes, and so, and we talked last episode about how Mordecai and Haman are the central, really the central characters in this they story. Um, and, and, and Mordecai is a descendant of Saul, and yeah. Haman is a descendant of the king yeah. Agog they're and two, the Amalekites. They're two individuals who are emblematic of this, like, divine war that's yes. been happening for centuries and centuries yes. and centuries between the seed of the serpent evil yep. and the seed of the woman's good yes and these things are coming to a head now in this story and the question is who's in control how are god's people going to be saved has god forgotten his people are we all subject to the whims of drunk kings what's yes. going on that's exactly right so we come to this place and this is where really the we, this is where we see the central story that people are used to thinking about when they think about the book of yeah. Esther if I right? perish I perish if I perish I perish which is interesting super interesting because actually well let's, let's tell a story before okay let's tell there. a story because so, I just want to like get to that that blew my mind uh, yeah. so Haman writes the edict all the Jews will be killed oh so we didn't even say that part oh, Mordecai yeah. Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman who's right. in power yes uh, Haman, as emblematic of this ancient battle, doesn't That's just want to destroy Mordecai. Always been seeking to crush the head of the of of of, of uh, God's righteous seed. Wants to wipe out all Jews everywhere. Yes, he may, he gets the king drunk at a feast at a banquet, and they sign this rule into law. Mm-hmm. Mordecai now brings this to the attention of Esther, mm-hmm. and Esther, uh, and he expects her to do something about it because yep. she's the queen. Now, really, really, like, tellingly, she hasn't seen her husband in 30 days. Yep. 
she's not a, in a position of power. She shouldn't expect, she, as the queen, doesn't really expect to have a position of power. Uh, so she is worried that if she goes into the king's presence without permission, she'll be killed. That's right. And she is supposed to like tell her, tell the king that his wife is about to be destroyed by Haman's plot. Mm-hmm. But she's not really convinced that he will actually care enough right. or want that for Right. Her. And ironically, she's, she's supposed to go in and tell him that, that she's about to be killed by Haman's plot. But yeah. if she goes in and tells the king that she's going to be killed, she might be killed just by going to see the king. Yes. Which is like a very ironic tension. Why don't we define irony? Yes, before we need to do going. that. Yeah. So, because let, let's start with this. Irony, if you got your definition of irony from the, the song, isn't it ironic? I don't know you, that song. Everyone except you knows this song. <laughs> I really have never heard the song. And it, it, it's like it's like rain on your wedding day. Okay. It's a free ride when you've already paid. Okay. It's good <laughs> advice that you just didn't take. <laughs> these are these are like is and then it's like isn't it ironic and it's like it's like ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife. This, this None is, of these are irony. These are actual lyrics. These are the lyrics from the song. Okay. None of those are ironic <laughs> okay. though. Those are right. all inconveniences. Yeah, <laughs> like, none of them are ironic. Right, right, right. Yeah, because I think the way that I've understood irony, or I think a helpful way to understand it, is doing, searching, trying grasping for one thing mm-hmm. but receiving its opposite Be, by or, the way that you tried to get that yeah thing. like doing one thing and in doing that one thing it implies the opposite yeah, result you actually get the opposite right so yes. i think the best analogy is like is uh the roadrunner yeah you ever watch the roadrunner uh it's the entire show is based on an ironic premise the coyote no matter how hard he tries cannot catch the roadrunner yep. because the elaborate trap he sets for the roadrunner is what he ends up getting ensnared in in himself yes without fail yep. every single time yeah he, he he raises the anvil on a rope that's that's right. anchored to a tree yes. and he ties it off and as soon as the roadrunner come and comes and eats the bird seed it's supposed to fall down and crush right. the and but it, it doesn't the roadrunner comes and eats the food the anvil dangles, dangles overhead and doesn't stop and the roadrunner runs off and he's like the trap must not work. So he goes over to test it to be like, what's wrong with this thing? And the anvil falls on him. That's exactly right. He's caught in his own trap. How many seasons? I don't know. Well, the roadrunner, because I was, I was thinking about that. Like, what a perennially gratifying concept right, like, irony is. Irony is the way, is hilarious. It is very funny. It's hilarious. Yes. And I, I was actually teaching this book to our students and like I was just narrating the story. Yep. And when I finally got to the point we'll talk about in a second in chapter six where... Uh, Haman and, and Mordecai's roles are reversed. Yes. Everyone starts laughing. Yes, I was like, that's the response you should yes, have. It it's is a, it's kind a, of hilarious. This is a tragic comedy. Yes. Yeah. So let me, let's just get let's get to that point. So that's what irony yeah. is. Oh, Roadrunner cartoon show. And you were telling me one of the definition of irony I was I I thought was helpful because it's it's less kitty. Yeah, yeah. Which was the one about beauty, but I can't remember it about beauty. like if you if you if beauty is your oh, greatest thing. Oh yeah yeah. So there's a an author. His name is uh, David Foster Wallace. Yeah yeah. So yeah. he's like he won a ton of awards. He committed suicide mm. um, not too long ago. Fascinating author. I wrote a, a paper on his book Infinite Jest Jest without actually ever reading it. But <laughs> anyway, he has this really profound quote. He was an atheist, yeah. and he said this: "In the day to day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping." Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And he says this, uh, anything that you worship will eat you alive. Mm. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. 
Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Mm. Uh, really profound inside. Yeah. And what he's what he's pointing out is like there's this ironic way that when we worship or trust something as ultimate, mm-hmm. it has this way of like curving back round and doing exactly the opposite of what we hope for. Yes, we worship beauty. We always feel ugly. Mm. We worship money. We, we always feel, feel poor. We or, always feel poor, yeah. and we could always have more. Yes. And so the book of Esther actually does a really good job of giving us a really vivid example of Haman yes. trying to pursue one thing and getting the opposite. And this yep. is where his name comes in. Yep. So his, his name. It means celebrity. Yeah. Celebrated one. Yeah, the celebrated one. And what's in the first instance we meet Haman, what does he want to be by Mordecai? He wants to be yeah, honored. He's he like, bow be down honored, before me. Bow down before me. That's celebrate his first me. act. Celebrate, celebrate the me. celebrated one. Celebrate me because I'm in power and, Haman, and uh, Mordecai, Mordecai doesn't. refuses to do it. Yeah. And he continues to refuse to celebrate Haman. Mm-hmm. So he goes to the king to enact this plan to hang Mordecai to make sure that he's killed and he is celebrated universally by everyone. Mm-hmm. But when he goes to the king to make the... Uh, should we... Should I, should I just tell more details of the story? Yeah, you just keep okay. going. Oh, you keep going. I'm like into it. I, like, okay. I love this story. I love hearing it. So he, um, it's so, it is funny. And he, so he wants Mordecai to celebrate him. Right. He goes home and pouts to his wife. Oh yeah, and that, like his family, his family, yeah. and he's like, he's like Mordecai, this guy he won't bow to me or whatever else. <laughs> it's like stupid, but it's like, but I'm great. Esther's invited me to feast. All yeah. this stuff's happening to Which me. Which he doesn't know that the feast that Esther's inviting to him, him to is a trap all along. Yes. Which is hilarious. So he goes out from this feast with his wife, like boasting about his accomplishments and all in his family, boasting about his accomplishments and his greatness and the fact that Esther's invited him to this great feast, yeah. which by the way, we didn't even get to the, if I perish, I perish. Yeah, thing. we'll get there. We'll, we'll, get we'll there. circle back around. We'll circle back around. And he meets Mordecai on his way out of his party with his wife. Yep. And Mordecai, again, refuses to bow to him. So Haman runs to the king's bedchambers to request an audience with him. Yep. He gets there, and the king just so happens to have been unable to sleep. Yep, so he had, he had a bedtime story brought in to be read to him to and, help him sleep. And he reads the history of the acts of the king. So yep. again, like, what a great picture of his pride. Yes. Uh, read, read to me about the great all things, the great that things, I've things done. I do. And he realizes he never... Um, Honored uh, Mordecai for doing something. He never that he celebrated had done Mordecai. He never celebrated Mordecai. For the because fact. earlier in the story, we read about the fact that Mordecai had had heard about a conspiracy uh, from two of the king's eunuchs to overthrow the king. Yes. He heard about it, reported it to Esther, and the rebellion was quelched. Right. And so, but he never, never. celebrated that, which for a Syrian king was unheard of. Right. It would have been a big misstep. Big misstep. Because you always wanted to celebrate people for doing great things to you, for you, to encourage other people to do great things for you. That was another way they consolidated power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's also like... Everyone does that. Every leader does that. Anyway, so he goes to the king mad that Mordecai won't kill him. Uh, Mordecai won't bow to him. He starts constructing this 150-foot-tall... I thought it was... uh, 50 80. cubits. Yeah, 50 cubits. And is a that, cubit is is is, is, uh, thought it was is 18 a, inches. Oh. So I think it was like 75 feet or something 75 like that. 75 feet yeah. tall gallows. Which the word gallow... It, it just means no, tree. It just means tree. It's the word for tree. It's eights. The Hebrew word eights, which is the same word tree. So more than likely that meant he... It's a, it's a, it's a tall wooden stake. That he would have been impaled, impaled on, upon. And then hung 75 feet yep, up in the air. That's right. So he builds this thing and then he goes to... Uh, which, speaking the, of opulence... Yeah, seventy-five foot 
Cole? Well, what was it? I, Come somebody, on. It was supposed to, it's a symbol of his uh, inflated ego. Yep. It's like, it's, we can leave it at that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we can leave it there for people who want to yeah. pick up on what that means. So he, Interesting. Uh, he's just like, so he goes fully expecting the king to ratify his decision to kill Mordecai. Totally. Yeah. Um, and he walks into the room in a huff, angry, and the king interrupts him and he says, what would you do for the man, the king, whom the king delights. delights to honor? And he's like, well, who would the king delight to celebrate more than me? Yeah. He's like, I'm the celebrated one. What and like, so what, he who, starts who, going into great detail yeah. about how what he should do to yeah. celebrate the one. You should wear his robes and wear his rings and have a high official of the land parade him through the city on the king's horse. On the king's which horse, which I heard a commentator uh, akin that to taking a ride in Air Force One. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a great example. Yeah, hey, he should do yeah, all these. Hey, things. president, what like man? What should I do, man? You should let me film our podcast in the Oval Office. Yes. And you should give me like... A ride, for, for, a ride on Air Force uh, One. From Oklahoma yeah. City to Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. And then your press secretary yes. should tell Everyone the world how about great how great the podcast is. <laughs> this is exactly... It's, it's we, so, it's so <laughs> President, if you... No, President. <laughs> so, so Xerxes is like, wonderful idea, Heyman. Perfect idea, celebrated one. Celebrate Haman. Mordecai. Mordecai. Yeah. Celebrate Mordecai. So not you. Not you. The not... one you came in here to huff at me about. Right. That you were you wanted me to kill. I want you to go celebrate him. Yes. Irony. Irony. So it, and this is the central chapter of the entire book. Yep. It's the main point we're supposed to take from the book of Esther. There is this divine reversal mm-hmm. of fortunes. Haman is falling. Mordecai is ascending. So much so that when Haman goes home and talks to his wife about what just happened, she prophesies, essentially. Mm. Did you read this? I don't uh, know if I know um, what you're talking about here. So she prophesies uh, this in verse 13. Uh, then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you've begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. Whoa! So she prophesies that if this has already happened, you're going to die. And fascinatingly, she, she also uses the word seed. No, she doesn't. So it's not in our English translation, but if Mordecai, before whom you've begun to fall, is of the Jewish seed... You will not overcome him. But she's repeating sure. Genesis three fifteen. She's repeating the breath, the the hope of Genesis three fifteen. Exactly, Whoa. that there will be someone coming who crushed the head of the serpent. She knows. She's identifying her husband as that ancient serpent, which is what the book cr- wants us to do. Which is what the book wants us to. do. He's part of that empire that's tr- that Saul was supposed to kill but didn't. And she's saying, if he is of the sea, the serpent crushing seed, yeah, you will most surely fall. That's crazy. He hears this news. Which is ironic. Super ironic. That, that the woman to whom he came for comfort ends up bringing him yes. the truth of destitution. All so much irony. He goes, immediately the guards come to take him to Esther's second banquet. Right, which we'll circle back around to all well, his banquets. Uh, and during that banquet, the king, drunk, says, what do you want, my queen? Up to the half of my kingdom right. for like the third time. Yeah. And she says, well, somebody has sold my people into slavery. They're going to kill them. Who is this? Who is this man in a rage? This wicked Haman. And Haman, like minutes ago, his wife had just announced his death. Yeah, and now he's crushed. And now he's crushed. And Xerxes leaves 
angry, comes back, and something weird happens where he like trips or whatever. Yeah, the language is weird there. But like Xerxes interprets it as an assault on his wife, mm-hmm. which is exactly what he was actually trying to do. Yes, he goes, which is ironic which because is, he did assault her sexually. He so, Xerxes well, did. Well, I was going to say it's ironic because Haman is begging for mercy. Yeah, but in the act of begging for mercy, it actually brings out the opposite. It brings about his judgment. Oh yeah. So Xerxes sees this, <laughs> so much irony. and then impales him on the same pole that he built for for Mordecai. Mordecai. And that's the big ironic twist yes. of the book yes. of Esther. Yes. That is crazy. So it's like this sweeping story. I'm getting like lost in all the details. But it, yeah, and yeah, it, 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 it's super, that was well told. Thank you. That was well told. Thank you. So um, what are we supposed to see first here in this text? Like, oh, like, okay. What What is this irony about? What is it pointing us to? Not just like, this, like, I fell in love with this book reading it recently. Like, this is great literature. Oh, it's beautiful literature. It's very, very, very beautiful literature. Beautiful literature. So, but, and that's kind of what you just showed us in yeah. your, in your narrative. But like, what, like, how, what does this tell us about Yahweh, the unmentioned God in Esther, <laughs> you know? So I think what it should tell us is that the way that God normally deals with our pride and evil is the way that he deals with Haman. Hmm. God will give us, let us pursue precisely what we want mm. and let that curve back around and destroy us. Yeah. He'll let us act just like Wally Coyote as much as we want. Set up all the traps, try to pursue your celebrity, pursue sexual allure, pursue mm. money and things. Yeah. And your punishment is not going to be me smiting you from heaven. I'm not going to send a hurricane because you guys legalize same-sex marriage or whatever. Right, right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to let you experience the ironic consequences of your actions. Mm. I'm going to let your decisions eat you alive. Right. And so would you say that this is kind of the same language that like the psalmist uses when he says, let them fall into the snare they have set Over and me. over again. So okay. like Psalm 510, hold them guilty, O God, by their own devices, let them fall. Mm. Psalm 715, the wicked man has dug a pit and hollowed it out and he's fallen into the hole which he has dug. His mischief will return on, on his, his own, own head. head. Uh, that's the that's the Roadrunner TV show. Yeah. It's exactly the Roadrunner TV show. This one is fascinating to me. Yeah. Psalm 37, David is writing a poem about the time that he was being pursued by King Saul. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was on the run from King Saul. And he calls uh, King Saul wicked. And he says, the wicked have drawn their sword to slay those who are upright in conduct, referring to himself. Mm. Their sword will enter their own hearts. Wow. And then in 1 Samuel 3, do you know how Samuel dies? A king, Saul, dies. He dies. He commits suicide on the same sword he chased David down with. Wow. His sword is pierced through his, like he falls on his Mm. own sword. So like David's prayer for ironic justice comes true in in Saul's life. Mm -hmm. Um, Proverbs says it kind of the same way, like there's a way that seems right to man, but it's way ends in wow. death. And then you could take this all the way back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, couldn't you? That yes. it, it's the tree yes. and they say, and God said, if you eat this tree, you'll surely die. And they thought it would give them life, That's but exactly all it brought right. them was death. That's exactly right. Okay. Like knowing good and evil for myself, providing for myself will be the best way for me to flourish and live in this world. Yes. And actually God says, no, that's actually what will cause you to die. Yeah. Right. So the beginning of the Bible is ironic. <laughs> is is there is this ironic choice that's happening? Mm. Like there's like we what we do think is going to bring us life, but by pursuing what we think is going to bring us life, it actually brings us death. So I think the case for like what what 
Esther uniquely teaches us is that this ironic reversal of our fortunes, like the the disorderedness of our desires, always curves back around on us mm. and will always come back to haunt us. Like the, it mm-hmm. will always happen. Mm-hmm. And this is actually God's mode of judgment in the world. His like primary mode by which he exercises justice. Yeah. I I long I I have a longing for sexual satisfaction, mm-hmm. and so I go to pursue it in a, an adulterous affair or a yes. pornographic website. And all that does is com- is dehumanize other other people. It yeah. it makes me unsatisfied. It, it like or like you've you've heard about like how like I'm, this is right. this is going deep into yeah, yeah. some like waters here. But it's like you know you 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 hear these guys who've spent so much time consuming pornography mm-hmm. that nothing excites them anymore. Yeah, and it's like I mean, that. Well, that's, that would be an ironic. Well, punishment. think about the king. Yeah, he has hundreds of women at his right. disposal, and the only thing that he can think that will excite him is a beauty contest where hundreds of brand new virgins are brought to him, right. and he daily gets to sleep with another woman for several years. Totally, it's and, like yeah, and yet he's still like getting sloshed drunk every night because he's completely. And then he doesn't even commit himself to his wife and doesn't right. see her for thirty days. Yeah. Like it's not enough. No. So I think David Foster Wallace is totally right. Mm. Like the ironic justice of God is the thing that we worship. The thing that we trust, the thing that we like, ironically look for life in, mm-hmm. is going to eat us alive. Yeah, I think that's what the Book of Esther is like teaching us in the story of Haman too. Yeah, and so Haman searched for a celebrity. Yeah, he was searching for a celebrity. Yep, and it's it ended up bringing about the most dishonor mm-hmm. that he could possibly face, mm-hmm. while also his life bringing the most honor to his greatest enemy. Yeah, and I think it's so like it's funny, beautifully written, beautifully narrated. But the justice is so poetic, mm. I think you're forced to conclude this must be God. Yes. It's like, too it's too perfect. God is never mentioned. Right. But the justice is yes. too poetic for it not to be true. Yes. I think I think all of the irony, the justice, the coincidences, yeah. all of those point to one conclusion. No one planned this but God. Right. This wasn't um this yeah, yeah. So think about, then think about, like, think about, like, if you're not a believer listening to this, think about all the things like David Foster Wallace, like, tells you, like, what do you worship? Mm. Isn't it fascinating that the exact thing you wish you most had is the thing that you feel like you never have? Mm -hmm. Isn't there, like, a poetic justice to our longings where we desire sexual or beauty, power, money, but the more we strive after those things, the le- more empty we feel, the less satisfied we feel, and the more like it's eating us alive. Yeah, Isn't there like a poeticness to the way a world looks without God that kind of clues you into the fact that maybe there actually is one? Right. I think that's also part of what's happening here. Like that's interesting. R- writing to Persians. Yes. Writing to people who assume there is no God. This is an apologetic. This is an apologetic. Mm. Look at how everything in life is actually its own ironic consequence. Poetic justice is everywhere. It's mm. not just for what we find funny in like real, like the Roadrunner cartoon, right. but it's what's true of like drug addicts too. Drug oh, addicts yeah. search for control in taking cocaine, that feeling of willfulness, power, acceptance, or not acceptance, but willfulness, power, ability. Mm-hmm. But people who are addicted to cocaine are the least likely, they're the most out of control people you know right like the substance that they think gives them control is actually the thing spiraling their lives out of control right why is everything designed so ironically yeah you don't have irony without an author yeah that's so true yeah yeah so it's an apologetic yep, yep. um 
And it's like we're supposed to see that this is the way that God does work in the universe and has worked throughout the entirety of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is ultimately the fate that we are all consigned to. Yeah. That n- bad news, everybody, no matter what you choose to pursue in this yep. life, will ultimately end in bringing a curse, punishment, and death mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. What you ultimately seek to bring you satisfaction will only bring you dissatisfaction yep. and decimation. Yes. It's like, well, that sucks. Yeah. So, like, how does Jesus make this good news by irony oh okay, <laughs> okay. so think about the, just the similarities between jesus the the, the story of jesus yep. and the story of mordecai and esther that we've just mm. narrated so jesus like mordecai is persecuted by people in power who hate him because yep. he rejects their authority and their importance yes the pharisees are mad that jesus doesn't recognize their authority or importance and they jealously seek to try to kill him mm-hmm. the pharisees just like him and plot to kill jesus with silver yep, they buy him <laughs> with silver yep jesus like mordecai is paraded through a city riding on a donkey while the people shout praises and the, fa- oh, the wow. pharisees like fume jealously haman um like the religious authorities collaborate uh, with the political powers to erect this giant tree yes. in which to kill Jesus slash Mordecai on. Mm-hmm. Judas, like Haman, seals the deal with several pieces of silver. Mm-hmm. We already said this. And here's the ironic part of all this. Unlike Mordecai and like Haman, Jesus is hung on the tree. Mm-hmm. So we expect yes. if the reversal is to be true, right. Mordecai, Jesus, the new Jew, to reign, right. to rule, right. to Something's gonna in some, power. Something's gonna happen. He's carrying the cross. He's right. getting the closer he gets to Golgotha. Right. The closer he gets, the more the Jewish author who's attuned to the story of Esther is expecting a Roman soldier to go up there, or right. Pilate to go up there, or Caesar to go up there. Yeah. He's gonna do something. What's he gonna do? Everyone's waiting. What's he gonna do? And then he gets up there like Haman. Like Haman and he, hang, he's hanged. Yes. And he has people saying to him, save yourself. Oh, you who could save others. Ironically, you can't save yourself. Fascinating. Interesting. Jesus experiences the ironic consequences that people like Haman and people like us should experience. Mm. So we are. We, there's all sorts of things that we should experience the ironic result of because our desires are disordered. Yeah. Jesus is somebody who didn't experience those, experiences the ironic consequences that we should so yeah, and so and Jesus then, unlike Haman, mm-hmm. so he's like Haman the fact that he dies, but unlike Haman, he's not dying for his own evil, his own pride. He's dying for ours. Right on the cross, he absorbs the ironic punishment humanity has deserved. But then, ironically, when that should have been the low moment, mm-hmm. Jesus, like Mordecai, rises to power from the grave. He dist- from, the, from the place where you're not supposed to rise. Right, right. Not from right. The pla- yeah, you, yeah, don't, yeah. you don't go to power through death. Yes. Uh, that's the ironic thing that you're yeah. saying, right? Okay. That's exactly right. Okay. And he rises to power out of death, defeat, just like Mordecai defeats all the Jews. Yeah. Jesus defeats the enemies of darkness yes. and sin. The empire of sin is ended, and Jesus sits at God's right hand in the heavenly places through an ironic salvation. Yes. Which... It's ironic. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, so let me try to like repeat some of that back yeah. to you. So like... What you're saying is God has built the world to work one way, that um, when we seek to find satisfaction or worship anything in this world, it turns ironically back on us to give us the exact opposite. Yes. Okay. Um, And in doing that, we have deserved that punishment. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that on the cross, what we see through the Esther story 
is that that Jesus has stepped in between our sinful pursuit of wrong right. desires and has yes. received the punishment that was coming right back around yeah. on our own head. Right. We should when we are reading the Esther story, we should see ourselves as Haman. Mm. We're pursuing celebrity. Yes. We want our family to be healthy at all costs. But as we're doing that, we start getting the opposite result. Like, have you ever noticed that people like who obsess over their kids, their kids end up like hating their parents, mm-hmm. and then they parent their kids in a way that their parents never would because they want their kids to like them in a way they never like their parents, but yep. their kids don't like them. Yeah, it's all ironic. It's like it's all ironic. <laughs> yeah. And so, yes, exactly right. You're supposed to see yourself as Haman. You should expect to be impaled on mm. the pole of the frustrated, um, your frustrated desires to be beautiful, yeah. to have a good family. But instead of that. Jesus does. Yeah. He inserts himself into the story. Right. Which is what Esther does, which we'll come back to here in a second. Um, And then there's just this like, and then there is this legal irony that's happening too, which, uh, which is just, we have to point out because it's just so ironic. It is like, is that the, the judge who had the right to actually give us justice for our wrongdoing to punish us and, and destroy us. He had the right to do that ends up taking that justice himself like that. Yeah. 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 Like there's like another level of his, irony too. It's to like, this. It's, it's, it might sound sacrilegious to say it like this. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if, how it's going to sound, but it's like I, in the same way that when we sin, the justice, the, the punishment comes around on our own head. Yeah. God allowed himself when he executes justice for it to come around on his own head. Yes. Like it's exactly what a right. beautiful, willful, gift yeah. from God to do that for us. Yes. Like, and he is the God who is in control of this whole situation. Yeah. This doesn't happen accidentally to Yahweh. This is his plan. We look at Esther and it seems so well planned that yeah. God must have he been must. its author. Yes. The same thing is true of the cross. Yeah. That is the most beautiful story ever told and it is told so well and the justice is so poetic and the yeah. coincidences are too far flung yes. that God must have ordained every step of it. Yes. Which is like what we're told again and again in the New Testament. Yes. That that Jesus is the one that God foreordained to be our like to to like die for us. If you want to experience an ironic salvation mm. from your ironic consequences, we have an ar- ironic gospel for that. Yeah. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Mm-hmm. But whoever loses their life yeah. for Jesus's sake will find it. Wow. Yeah. That's very ironic. Yes. I, I There's one thing I want to say and, and tease out about this irony thing before we, we turn to Esther. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is this whole idea of how does Jesus then and, and Yahweh, how, how does God and his empire and kingdom replace our ironic desires? Like, doesn't oh. he fix that problem for us too? Mm. He doesn't just come in and take the punishment our, our ironic desires deserve right. he also gives us new desires that are actually yeah. fulfilled because yeah. like when we pursue jesus and we want to worship and love him what what falls back on our own on our own heads is grace and life yeah, yeah. and peace and satisfaction and contentment yeah, yeah. it's like that's not i don't know if that's indigenous to esther like mm. those i think those are right concepts yeah. right ironic reversals but I don't know if those are. I don't know if I get a ton of internal motivational thought, thinkings, or desires from the Book of Esther. You know Interesting. I, mean? I totally do. Like, but, but I, I totally do from this whole theme of exile and longing that seems to take place in this whole book. That uh, e- even when the book ends, the people are still in exile. They're still yeah, in yeah. waiting. Um, we have these culturally compromised characters 
who yeah, yeah. we don't know if they were good or bad. What were their intentions? The book what were their even motivations? Ends, to your yeah. the point you're making, the book ends with King Xerxes imposing a new tax yes. on the whole land. So right. Like the, the, the emperor is still in charge of the empire. Yes. Like not a ton has changed. So I just feel like, and like we, we Why is it, as a reader, we're like, right. did, did, was, was Mordecai good or bad? Right. Like, did he make good decisions or bad decisions? Was he being pompous and like being like, mm. uh, I'm just being like loyal to my forefathers to not bow to Haman. And well, I'm, you the, know, like, yeah, yeah. And it makes you ask the question like, well, when the Messiah comes, yeah. will this just happen again? Yes. Will it just be a reversal of power, but the powers will still be in. Right. Like, or does he actually like fix this cultural tension mm, and blending yeah. that we have? To like, let me know how to parse out how to be in exile and how yeah. to be in Babylon, but in his kingdom. So there's a finality to Jesus' cross yeah. that the, it is finished. At the end of uh, Esther, the empire still stands. Mm-hmm. The empire still stands. Um, and really its power isn't abated. Mm-hmm. Like there's no diminishment of its power. Yeah, there was a salvation for the, for the people of God inside the kingdom. Right. But the power of the kingdom still reigned. Still reigned. And that... You can look at the morally compromised nature of mm-hmm. Esther and Mordecai's proof of that. Like the power of the kingdom still reigns over people's hearts, mm-hmm. uh, presumably even the people of God. So what's unique at what happens with Jesus is he actually diminishes the power yes. of the empire. That's right. Mordecai did not do that. No. The king is still making taxes on the people of God. Right. The death of Haman was not enough. It wasn't. Killing the enemy was not enough. Yes. Something else had to happen. Yes. And ironically, it was that the the like that the, right. the hero had to die. Yes. Still. Yeah. Ironically, it was the hero that had to die. But and like I'm trying to think of a, a good way to make sure that we talk about like what how Jesus defeats the empire at the cross. Mm-hmm. Like because he does and he doesn't defeat the empire at the cross. He defeats the empire's power. Mm-hmm. The empire can no longer kill those. Who find their life in Jesus. That's right, because he has ironically defeated death, death by bringing life out of it. The empire can no longer create more products of itself. So like we talked about Esther as a product of the empire. Mm-hmm. She's like externally gorgeous. She's sexually um, able. Right. She's throwing all these feasts and these parties. She's changed her name. Like um, there's just internal complexity, this internal like bent towards the empire within Esther and Mordecai. Mm-hmm. That is actually defeated for Christians. Yeah, Christians have this intuitive understanding that they belong to a different kingdom than the empire of the world, and they live in light of that. Mm. So at the cross, Jesus defeats the power of the empire over death, and the present, the power of that internal yeah, empire that we talked about us. last last time. Yes, yeah. like those two things. He de- does that. He defeats them categorically. Yes. For those that trust in Jesus. Yes. For those who lose their life so they may find it in him. Mm-hmm. But that is not the case for the entire world. Right. The presence of the empire yep. is still felt. The king's taxes still go out. The king's taxes still go out. Yep. But there is a growing rebellion yes. within the empire that we are promised will one day overthrow the presence mm-hmm. of the empire yep. because the king, the emperor, has already been dethroned. Yep. And in the and in in, and in the same way, it's like you, you know, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like him repeating this this yeah. strange ironic prophecy from Haman's wife. Yeah. That if these are the Jewish seed, there's yes. no way you're gonna be able to defeat them. Yes. And like, yeah, that's that's where we are now. I just I just think it 
even if it's not indigenous to the text, I just think it's important to point out the fact that just because people, I think, listen, like, okay, then what escape do I have from what I, what I worship just coming down on my own head? Right. And it's like, it's the fact that you won't die eternally. Yeah. You will be a part of God's kingdom. And well, and that like Jesus actually satisfies our desires. Yeah. Like that when we desire him, he satiates us. Mm-hmm. Like desiring Jesus is never ironic. Whenever you desire right. Jesus and you want him to give you life, you get life. Yeah. Whenever you desire Jesus and you want him to bring you contentment, you get contentment. Yes. Whenever you desire Jesus and you want him to bring purpose to your life, you get purpose. Yes. Jesus never deals ironically with his children. Even the desire for beauty. Yes. I've made you this spotless bride. Yes. Yeah. Like Jesus takes our ironic desires and makes them true. Yeah. Like I wish I was more pretty. Great. I'll make you my pure spotless bride forever. Yeah. He untwists the irony in yeah, our yeah. lives. And so what we need to do is we need to find like, what are all the things that I have trusted in in this world and how have they become like snares for me that I've fallen in, you yeah. know, anvils I've stood underneath and yeah. how can I bring those to Jesus and let him untwist them for me? Yeah. Do you find yourself in the same compulsive behaviors or in the same types of relationships, experience the same types of problems over and over and mm-hmm. over again? There is redemption and reversal in Jesus Christ. There is. Yeah. It's so good. Well, this talk ended up lasting way longer than I thought it would. So we're going to, we're going to have like a, a, a four to eight a and a four to eight b mm, b side b side so this was the we'll, we'll call this like the Haman and mordecai episode yeah and then now let's let's start a new episode and let's do an esther episode so Done. we'll leave it here for now and give us a chance to breathe <gasps> and uh, and then we'll be back next week to talk about esther all right we'll see you guys then Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.